Hi, my name is Bob Brooks, founder of Long in the Tooth Podcast. Most dentists fail to plan ahead for the sale of their practice, which costs them hundreds of thousands of dollars and burdens the ones they love with uncertainty about the future. So every Friday on Long in the Tooth, we share non-clinical insights from dental industry experts to help practice owners prepare for the sale of their practice today so they maximize profitability and peace of mind in the future. For all the hard work you put into building a practice, we believe that you, your family, and your staff deserve to transition after the sale into an even richer and more rewarding season of life. Hi, and welcome back to the Long in the Tooth podcast. This is Randon Jensen. Appreciate you listening in. Today, I want to talk about accounts receivable. I get this question frequently from both buyers and sellers. Should I sell accounts receivable with the practice? Should I buy accounts receivable with the practice? Or should I exclude them and keep them? Which is the best option? I would say probably 60% of the time, give or take, uh, we exclude the accounts receivable from the sale of the practice uh, and make arrangements for them to be collected by the practice uh, and by the buyer and the practice and the, and the office staff on behalf of the seller a- after the sell. Um, the remaining maybe 30-40% of the time we sell the accounts receivable with the practice. Now in instances where we uh, exclude the accounts receivable, which again is probably the majority of the cases, we find it works best to make arrangements with the office to help in collecting those. This avoids a scenario in which the seller has to take that responsibility on himself or herself after the sale. And it also avoids a scenario in which patients are confused, uh, where they might be getting two different invoices, one from the seller and one from the office. So we avoid all of that. Plus, we are able to keep the information in one location. Uh, the staff is able to follow up on insurance claims as needed, uh, to post payments, uh, follow up on outstanding balances. All that information is contained in one one location. Now, that isn't to say that the seller couldn't take that on or couldn't hire. We have seen in instances where they've done that on their own or they've hired the office staff with the buyer's permission, hired the, uh, the front office manager, for example, to handle collection of the seller's accounts receivable outside of the practice. And as long as that doesn't interfere with uh, the work he or she's doing for the buyer, then we're usually uh, fine to have to have that arrangement. But otherwise, like I said, usually make arrangement for the office to continue to collect them, then there's continuity with the collection. Um, the, the, the biggest disadvantage with this approach is the need to track the seller's accounts receivable from, separate from the buyer's accounts receivable. However, it's not as big of a job as many might think. Uh, as long as it's set up correctly to begin with, it's usually pretty simple. So that's part of the, tra- when we're involved in a transition, it's part of the transition services that we provide. We sit down with the, with the front office and go through the process for tracking the seller's accounts receivable separate from the buyer's accounts receivable. As long as there are separate uh, providers set up in the computer system, and the computer systems used to track only collections on outstanding accounts receivable, and then a brand new accounts receivable starts under the buyer's new provider number or name in the computer system. And there's a little more to it than that, but it's it's it is pretty much that simple. Uh, and as long as it's set up correctly to begin with, and then this, the front office staff has a checklist they look through, and a system for discerning seller uh, payments versus buyer payments, it's really a um, not too bad to track. We usually make that arrangement for about six months. Um, 
And beginning 30 days after closing, we have the seller reimburse the buyer or reimburse the office 10% of whatever's collected. Essentially, is a reimbursement for the cost of printing statements, uh, sending out the statements, the postage, the front office time in tracking those collections and those payments, etc. Um, it's not meant to be a moneymaker for the buyer. It's just a means of reimbursing the buyer for those expenses incurred. And then the advantage for the buyer is they they have control over the process. They know what's being sent to patients. They know which patients are being contacted, how they're being contacted. In some certain circumstances, we've had sellers who've taken the accounts receivable collections on their own, and then they've just sent all the patients to collections the day after. And that has, understandably, not gone over well and has had a tendency to upset patients. That's very rare that that happens, but it could be that a seller or uh, is taking an aggressive stance with patients in terms of collecting, and a buyer may be unhappy with that because of the potential damage to goodwill with patients. So the buyer maintains control over what's being sent to patients. They have that information available when patients are inquiring about their balance. Um, so it's, it ends up being uh, really a win-win for buyer and seller in instances where the accounts receivable are excluded from the sell. Now, if a seller would prefer to sell, the advantage there of just, hey, I don't want to worry about collections after the fact, or the buyer doesn't want to worry about collections after after the fact, they just want a clean break and want to be done with it, there's the possibility of just selling the accounts receivable. Most cases when we're selling accounts receivable, two or three approaches we can take, but most, in most cases we are deciding in advance to a discount formula that's then applied to the balance of outstanding accounts receivable at closing. That discount formula usually discounts the receivables based on their age. So a common formula, for example, that we'll see is 90% of current accounts, accounts that are aged less than 30 days, Uh, 80% of any accounts aged 30 to 60 days, 70% of any accounts aged 60 to 90 days, And then anything over 90 days, generally, there's no value assigned. Um, The chances or the the statistical likelihood of collecting on those accounts is very low. So generally, there's no value assigned. So usually zero value assigned to anything over 90 days. Occasionally, I'll have offices in which they may have a lot of patients on payment plans, that they've set up payment plans. And dental software ages all accounts receivable balances based on date of service. So even though maybe you've made arrangements with the patient to to collect, you know, have them pay over uh, six months, for example, and collect a portion each month, as long as they're making their monthly payments, technically their balance should be considered current, but that's not the way dental software does it. Uh, So five months into it, it's going to show that it's well over 90 days um, aged. So in, in, in situations like that, where we have maybe a significant number of accounts that are on payment plans and the patients are current on their accounts, we may do 50% of those balances uh, on, which, uh, on any balances on which there's been payment activity in the last 90 days. And that's a common scenario. Ultimately, it's whatever buyer and seller agree to as it relates to the discount formula. Um, but that's a common formula that we'll see. Now, one word of caution, one word of note regarding uh, accounts receivable balances. You have to look at each dental software does it a little bit differently, and you have to look to determine have the anticipated insurance write-offs already been factored in, or are uh, are the balances shown in the accounts receivable aging report 
still including those portions that are anticipated to be written off. Now, the practice doesn't participate in any in-network uh, preferred provider or PPO plans, and it's not an issue. If they are in-network, then uh, something to look at because certainly you wouldn't want, want to be applying the discount formula to a balance that has not yet been adjusted for the anticipated insurance write-off. So something uh, to be aware of there and to look for there. Um, now, the big disadvantage in selling the accounts receivable is the potential to leave money on the table. Uh, and it's a risk for both buyer and seller. The risk is the seller may sell them for less than what is actually collected. And in most cases, that is what happens. But that is to be expected because the buyer is assuming the risk and responsibility for collecting those accounts receivable. So it's understandable that they should collect a little more than what they pay uh, to offset that risk and responsibility. Um, but there's a possibility that it, that that difference could be substantial, in which case, obviously, seller's going to feel bad about leaving a lot of money on the table. Or if the buyer doesn't perceive the value as high as the sellers, in, in which case they may not offer to pay as much uh, for the accounts receivable as the seller may feel they're worth. Um, so that can be one of the big, and, and conversely, the buyer may end up paying more for the accounts receivable than what they collect. Uh, so that's the that risk is probably the biggest disadvantage uh, to selling the accounts receivable. That And we really don't know what that number will be until the day of closing. You can p- apply the discount formula you know, a few weeks in advance based on what the numbers are, but obviously accounts receivable are a dynamic number. They change uh, from day to day. So that can make it tricky from the standpoint of financing and really knowing how much to borrow to cover the value of the accounts receivable or the purchase price of the accounts receivable, which again, that end number won't be known until closing. Now, part of accounts receivable are also um, credits, um, accounts on which the patient has a credit balance. Maybe they prepaid for treatment. Maybe they had insurance reimbursed more than what they expected. Um, there could be a, a whole host of different reasons why they end up with a credit on their account. Uh, those credits should be resolved at time of closing, either by the seller sending out reimbursement checks to all of those patients, which if there are a lot of patients with credit balances can be quite a significant, I mean, that could be a pretty big uh, job to send all of those out. Um, plus, if patients are prepaid for treatment, why not just keep that balance on their account? So we find it works well to simply pay those balances, those credit balances, forward to the buyer, make an adjustment on the closing statement. The credit credits roll forward on the patient's account. The buyer's paid those. They're paid forward to the buyer, and then the buyer assumes responsibility and obligation for honoring those credits with the patients when they come in for treatment. Now, there is a third way in which accounts receivable can be sold. It kind of blends the the disadvantages of both approaches though. It is uh, by selling them with a promissory note that has a right to offset. So effectively the buyer issues a note uh, for the full face value of the accounts receivable uh, at closing, but then tracks what is actually collected and then offsets uncollected amounts against that note. And there's a little more involved in that, but that's the basic gist of it. Um, the disadvantage here is you still have to track the accounts receivable like you would if they were excluded. 
And then there's also the the trick of determining, well, how long of a time frame are we will we go on this? How long should the note be amortized? And how long of a time frame will we look at the accounts receivable before it's determined, hey, these this is an uncollectible balance that needs to be offset? And those are all things that need to be negotiated. This is not an approach we use very often. Uh, like I said, it's quite complicated. It's the most accurate in terms of determining the, the value of the accounts receivable, but it it um, it uh, like I said blends kind of the the disadvantages of both approach approaches. It is an op- uh, 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 an option available, but not one that we use uh, very often. Um, trade accounts would be the only other thing I would note in there if uh, that can be a little bit tricky. Uh, if accounts receivable are sold, uh, they are. That's where it becomes more tricky. If the uh, patient owes the practice, but owes them not necessarily a dollar amount, but owes in the form of whatever goods or services they've been trading with the seller, um, usually those accounts end up being excluded from the sell, and the seller makes arrangements to collect those from those patients directly and goods or services that benefit the seller. Um, unless their goods or services the buyer can benefit from and is interested in taking uh, in lieu of cash payment, uh, then then they may be included, but um, frequently not. Of course, if they're a credit, then that credit just gets paid forward to the buyer like we discussed. So that's a summary of uh, different elements with accounts receivable. Do you sell them? Do you not sell them? In most cases, we do not. We just, like I said, exclude those from the sell, make arrangements for the buyer to collect those on behalf of the seller. Um, hopefully that's helpful as you're making this decision on uh, a transition. If you're contemplating uh, the different elements involved, the accounts receivable obviously being one of them, and those are some options available for handling, handling those. Thank you again.